0: Hey everybody, my name is Alexa and I'm the kids pastor here.
1: And I'm Cole, I'm our 180 pastor here at Union Chapel and today we're so excited to be unveiling something brand new that we're doing right here at Union Chapel. Uh, We just want to take a second to say thank you to God for all he's done in our church and our ministries over the past years. All the people that have changed so many lives, we've literally seen thousands of people come to know Jesus and grow in their relationship with him and go and do the same thing. And we're so excited also for what is to come in the future.
0: Our staff has been praying and dreaming and planning for about two years now about where God is leading us. And so we are so excited about the ministry that is going to come out of saying yes to him and the life change that we're going to see for zero through 18-year-olds here in Delaware County. Kids at Union Chapel is all about giving your child opportunities to know who Jesus is, equipping them to constantly be growing in their faith, and then sending them out to go make Jesus known in their world. Every weekend that your child attends Kids at UC, they will get to experience dynamic worship just for them. They'll also be guided through age-appropriate teaching that helps them understand the Bible and Jesus and who God has called them to be. Then it doesn't end there. We encourage and challenge and send them out back into the world to experience that calling and share it with others. Kids at UC is so much more than just childcare. We are creating a space for your child to encounter Jesus every time they're here. This is why we offer Kids at UC during all services for ages zero through third grade. We offer worship, teaching, and small groups led by committed leaders and staff here at Union Chapel. All that fun is not just for your kids. You can be involved too by volunteering for one of our FX events or by joining our Kids at UC leadership team on the weekends. Proverbs 22 sums it up perfectly. Train up a child in the way that they should go. Kids at UC is totally committed to that concept.
1: So for a little over a year now our team here at 180 has been sensing that that god wants to move in ways that we haven't seen him move before early on in this process we decided that whatever he asked of us we were going to say yes and so for a while we have been dreaming and planning and preparing and seeking god and, and we have taken into consideration the ways that the world is changing and we have come up with all of this Uh, a way that we can strategically engage teenagers in our culture here in Delaware County. 180 Live is our weekend gathering that takes place on Sunday nights from 6 to 7.15 right here in our 180 auditorium every other week where we gather to worship to learn about god to connect with each other have a ton of fun and part of our mission here at 180 is to provide a place where every single student in delaware county can call home and 180 live is our way of gathering as a huge family church homes are our way of taking what we do right here at 180 and releasing it out into our community. You know, our heart and our mission here at Union Chapel is to plant as many churches as we possibly can. And this is our way of engaging that right here at 180. Church homes will take place every other week when we're not gathered here for 180 Live. And while 180 Live is all about us coming together and gathering and worshiping as a family, Church Homes is about us taking our family members and sending them out to our community. Church Homes are so much more than just small groups. Church Homes are groups of people sent out strategically into our community with unique cultures and unique missions and unique purposes to go out and to reach people that haven't yet been reached with the Gospel of Jesus. A game plan is a tool that we have built and thought up where anybody can go on and create a personalized 90-day discipleship plan for themselves wherever they are in their relationship with Jesus. Game plans are our way of engaging in discipleship with anybody in our community, no matter who they are, no matter where they're at. teams or 180 teams are our serving teams that we offer here at 180 for anybody that's a part of our church. We have three different teams that we offer for Sunday nights at 180 live. The first one is creative arts, the second one is worship and production, and lastly the first impressions team. Each one of these four things are all tied together by something that we've created here at 180, a portal our website, 180.live, where you can go and you can engage with, you can learn about each one of our 180 aspects. We're so excited about it, and we're so excited about what God's doing and what he's going to do in the future, and we hope that you would join us here at 180 in the future.
2: My name is Kenzie Harris and I am the new 456 pastor here at Union Chapel. I'm super excited to announce to you guys that we're starting a new ministry this fall geared specifically towards our 4th, 5th, and 6th grade students. They'll help bridge the gap between our Kids at UC ministry and our 180 ministry, and we're going to call it 456. Overseeing this ministry, I'm super excited to get to work with parents and volunteers in a new format that is designed to get to know students, model Christ to them, and help them grow in their own personal relationship with him. In order to do that, we're going to be focusing on building intentional relationships with each student and investing in them on a weekly basis. 456 will be meeting during our Sunday services right here in the Old Sanctuary. It'll be a time for us to hang out and drink smoothies. we we'll get to play games like checkers or nine square. we we'll get to worship together, and we'll hear a message out of God's word. As you guys can see, we're doing a lot of work to make this space fun and inviting for our fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. We've got some new paint and a nine square, and we're even building a brand new stage. And I'm super excited for everyone to see it. At the heart of our ministry is to help fourth, fifth, and sixth graders know God personally, grow in their intimacy of their relationship with Him and each other, and to go and live out their call to serve in their homes, in their communities, and right here at church. We're building this new ministry on the great foundation of the Kids at UC small group model and bridging it to 180's new church home model. Fourth, fifth, and sixth grade students are unique in their social, emotional, and spiritual needs, and we want to focus on those unique needs to be able to best prepare them to be Christ followers in our ever-changing culture. And using the models of small groups and church homes that Kids at UC and 180 have designed, we're also gonna be having small groups every other Wednesday night on the off weeks we're going to have 456 circle during these times at 456 circle we'll be able to hang out and play games and build relationships with each other our first 456 circle meeting will be on september 4th from 6 to 7:30 right here in the sanctuary i'm super excited to start this ministry because when i was 12 years old i was a part of a fifth and sixth grade ministry and it changed my life forever. It was during this time that I was called into vocational ministry, and I got this passion and desire to see this next generation be radically moved for Christ. I'm so excited to join the staff here at Union Chapel and to work with Alexa and Cole to be able to build a bridge between our kids' ministry and our student ministry. And I'm excited to work with all of you guys to help our students realize the potential that God has for them.
3: We are very excited about these ministries from zero to 18 years old in the life of our church. And I hope that you are as well. My name is Greg Paris, so glad to see you. Welcome to worship today. And we're gonna be uh, casting vision for our future. And I hope that you can catch the enthusiasm that we have and the excitement that, that we hope to generate around this important ministry to our, to our young people and in our community. So let me just remind you about part of our story. 20 years ago, we asked the question, who in our culture is the most receptive, most open-minded to receiving a meaningful relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ? Who are, who are the people most receptive to that message? And the answer that we got from these institutes and other research groups who do this work very effectively was that unless you reach a, a young person before they reach the age of 18, then it's not likely that they'll be reached at all. I mean, like in the 70 percentile. And, and so we used that information, used that age group as a specific strategic target group. And that's when we formed 180, 20 years ago. And we did an unusual amount of activity and work in preparation for that ministry and as a result of that, God did an unusual work among us. And in the past twenty years, we've had hundred and twenty thousand high schoolers attend One Eighty. We have we baptized over fifteen hundred teenagers in those years. That's an amazing thing. That's where you applaud in the church, right there. It's remarkable. So we're so we're so excited about that, and and. 180 continues to be a thriving, fruitful ministry, and we're so thrilled. Now we've asked the question again, who are the most receptive people in our culture today, receptive to the gospel? And we, you check with Pew Research, you check with Barna Group and these different institutions that study the sociology and the trends in our culture. And so we don't speculate about this. We're not imagining this to be true, we know that this is factually the case, that in today's culture, that number now has gone from reaching people for Jesus before they reach 18 years of age is now down to 13 years of age. Unless we reach these young people before they get to 13, then chances are we won't reach them. It's an amazing phenomenon in our culture, some of which, perhaps much of which we can't explain. But what we know is happening with these younger groups of people in our culture is that they are being exposed to more and more adult ideas and, and images and activities earlier than any generation in American history. This is largely because of the internet and social media. We, we, we know that their worldview and their patterns of thinking are completely unique and need to be addressed in a unique way. One of the phenomenons that i find especially curious is that these these kids are reaching puberty at an earlier age than in any generation in american history boys are 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 passing through adolescence into puberty girls are menstruating earlier than at any time in our history it's it's curious at least and maybe even disturbing at worst but we know something's going on and we also know that this is the new age range that we have to be strategically minded if we're gonna reach them effectively for Jesus Christ. And so therefore, we now call our children's ministries zero through third grade and we are instituting this new fourth, fifth and sixth. We call it four, five, six. And these 10, 11, 12 year old kids are gonna be part of the strategic focus that we have with 180 in our teenage ministries to target these kids and introduce them to a meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, we have, we have set aside very intentionally space. Uh, our 830 early service, all of those gracious people agreed to vacate the sanctuary and use this space for their worship. So we've taken over what was the old sanctuary. It's gonna be the new 456 room and, and the lobby over there is related to children now. And so we're designating facility space and staff, Kinsey Harris, you've just met on the video. She'll be out in the cafe as you leave. I hope you, many of you will stop and chat with her and welcome her to our team and budgets and programs, all of that stuff now to intentionally and strategically focus on these kids in this four, five, six range. And we, we, know, we, we know that this is, this is the time to reach them. Now, we don't know what's gonna happen, but we do know what will happen if we don't do anything. We know what will happen if we don't try. And so we're gonna give it a real try. And because we prayed extravagant prayers 20 years ago and saw an amazing move of God with 180, how about would you join us in praying extravagant prayers and asking God to do an amazing work in this group of fourth, fifth, and sixth graders so that they will be prepared for the purpose and call of God in their lives. And so that's, uh, that's what we want to talk about today. I want to just preach a little bit this morning about this generational, strategic approach. And I want to envision, I want to encourage and try to get some momentum for these ministries that all of us can feel good about. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to our text, which is in the Psalms, Psalm 89, a Psalm of David. And I'm gonna read for us verses one and two and then 30 through 34. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word. So I invite you to do so as you're able. And again, note the importance of the generational blessing that God has intended for us. David writes verse one, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever with my mouth. I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. So remember, This phrase, all generation from generation to generation, you see this throughout the scripture and it means what you think it means. It means my parents, my generation, my children's generation, their children's generation. From generation to generation, we see the work of God perpetuate. And and so it's a concept, it's a spiritual principle, it's part of the kingdom of God. It's the ways of God that he wants to influence from generation to generation. Now down to verse 30. Verse 30. This is in reference to to the next generation who may not be faithful to God, but watch what happens. If his sons forsake my law and do not follow my statutes, if they violate my decrees and fail to keep my commands, I will punish their sin with a rod, their iniquity with flogging, but I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant, or alter what my lips have uttered. So even in the midst of a sinful generation, there's hope because God's love and his mercy will find them and, and discipline and instruct them and recover them. Now, now, hang on to that. This is such an important, powerful principle and I hope you'll get it. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Now, this scripture of course is talking about David who is the king of Israel And he lived approximately 1,000 years before Christ, 1,000 years BC. And so David was alive on the earth about 3,000 years ago. And what we learn here is this amazing insight into the mercy and faithfulness of God. Let me explain. It implies that when we are faithful, that our faithfulness will be reflected in God's faithfulness, not only to us, but to succeeding generations. Now that that ought to both sober you and excite you. That should should be both a a wonderful promise and at the same time, just kind of shake us and, and, and make us come to our senses because it's not just about us. It's not just about here and now. It's not just about when we're alive. Our lives actually have influence beyond our lives. And this is the promise that we're finding here. For example, uh, Solomon is the son of David who actually built the temple in Jerusalem. David wasn't able to build it, but Solomon, his son, did. David left, uh, left an inheritance to Solomon. David actually raised In today's currency, $85 billion to help build what became one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple in Jerusalem, and it was a great advantage to Solomon to have those resources when it came time to actually construct this thing. It made his life easier and better, but it wasn't just a legacy of financial blessing. It was also the legacy that David left of worship and of prayer and of seeking after God and a heart for God, and that also followed from generation to generation. Now, you feel the same way I do. You want to be a stepping stone for your children and your children's children to help them step up, to step forward, to to step into a relationship with God, not a stumbling block. I mean, if we took a survey today, how many of you want to be a stumbling block to your own children? No one wants that. We want to to be an encouragement, we wanna be a model, we wanna be an inspiration to the next generation. But listen to me, this is very important. You choose by your life and by the values that you live by, how you're gonna influence the next generation. I have two points today, and I wanna start with the downside. Let's get the bad news over with first, okay? So on your outline, here's the first step. Sin, watch this now, The Bible teaches us that sin can be stored up as a generational curse. I know, it's hard to hear, isn't it? We find in Exodus chapter 20, it reads, you shall not bow down to an idol or to worship them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God punishing, watch this, the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. So here's a fair warning, isn't it? This is fair warning. The children of a generation that turns its back on God and worships lesser things like idols will be a generation that passes on a curse to the third and fourth generation. But it goes on to say, showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So there's good news and there's hope, but there's also the fair warning. Here's what we learn. There's something about iniquity that can be stored up and passed on family traits, bondages that can be passed on. And you've perhaps seen this in your own family, but at the very least you've observed it in other family trees. This isn't a mystery to us. We recognize that it happens. It's, it's not easy to understand how it happens. Uh, we, we like to think of biological reasons or environmental reasons or whatever, but there's a spiritual root to this problem as well that we need to be aware of as the people of faith. And so what we learn is that things like marital breakup or alcoholism or anger or abuse or addictions can follow in family lines. We know it's true and what I'm announcing today is that there is also a spiritual component to that. And it's very serious. And that's the part that should sober us all Listen to Job chapter 21, verse 19, listen to this. It is said, God stores up a man's punishment for his sons. God stores up a man's punishment for his sons. Is that really in the Bible? It is. And so there is a generational curse, a, a generational dark cloud that can follow from one to the next as a result of the iniquity of a person's life. Second Corinthians twelve, fourteen. Paul reminds the Corinthians after all, Children should not have to save up or store up for their parents, but parents for their children. So there's the admonition and the encouragement to realize that there's, there's consequence and benefit generationally. Proverbs 13, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Now we think about an inheritance, we think about money or assets, but how about an inheritance of faith, of godly living, of integrity, a legacy like that? That passes on the blessing in favor of God. Now listen to me, listen to me. Every last single one of us have or will lay up something for our children. We're all laying up something and we have to decide what we're gonna lay up, store up for the next generation. Yeah. Abraham paid tithes and Levi, his grandson, actually got credit for it. Abraham was generous and Levi, his grandson, you know, he caught on, kind of got in his genes. Uh, Levi's genes. <laughs> How many of you saw that coming? Anyone, anyone at all? No, it's too, it would be too much. It'd be one thing if we individually lived a sinful, wicked life, just living for ourselves, but no one, lives or dies for themselves. Hear it now, no one sins in a vacuum. Nobody lives under themselves and nobody dies under themselves. Every last one of us leave a legacy of influence that touches the next generation one way or the other. So your acts of righteousness are having an effect and your acts of unrighteousness are also having an effect. So this promise God made to David is profound. The promise God made to David was because you're such a worshiper, such a prayer warrior, such a seeker of God, that I'm going to accompany the generation to follow you with my mercy and grace and forgiveness. It's a wonderful promise. Our text again, Psalm 89. Let me put it on the screen. I want you to get it. If your children commit adultery, fall into sin, I will chasten them with a rod, but I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. Now, let me translate that for you. God won't treat my kids like he's gonna treat someone else's kids if I live for God. Well, that's not fair. That's the economy of God, deal with it. Well, that's not, that doesn't seem right. Why should my children be punished for my problems? That's not the question. The question is how are you gonna live your life? Because you know you're gonna influence your kids. Now, some of you know what I'm talking about. You, you had a praying mother or a praying father or one of those praying grandmothers. You know what I'm talking about. And you, and you, you thought that she was just a simpleton. You know, well, my, my, my maternal grandmother, you know, she, she didn't have formal education. You know, she never even graduated from high school, but she sure did pray for us a lot. And I noticed that she'd wear out a Bible every few years. But we always laughed at her because we thought she was a little foolish. You know, she's not as sophisticated as we are now. You know, we're, we're more highly evolved than those prior generations. And we're more urbane and, and, uh, and savvy to what's going on in the world. Our perspective is much more advanced now than it was in my grandmother's generation. And so you think you can become a big bad sinner and do whatever you want and get away with that and live a selfish life. And you think that's true, but you've got a problem if you had a praying grandmother. Because the blessing and the favor and the discipline and the recovery of God actually has been stored up on your behalf by those people who have gone before you in faithfulness. Someone described it as the prodigal's advantage. You remember the story of the prodigal son, he took his inheritance and went out and wasted it and he eventually went home. And that's the prodigal's advantage. You can run and run and run from God. But if someone in your family heritage has stored up mercy and grace on your behalf, listen to you, this is what will happen. You'll always be able to find your way home. That's a good thing. That's a really good thing. Parents, let me ask you this question. What is it worth for you to know that your children are living for God? What's it, what's it worth to know that extra grace and mercy has been stored up for your kids? Is that worth anything to you? That when they stray or fall off the course, that God's discipline will correct them and then his grace and mercy will recover them. Does that mean anything to you? I hope that means everything to you. That means everything to me. I, I just think that's the, the most fabulous promise. As a parent or a grandparent, if you live for Christ, listen to me, God will not let your children be lost without dealing with them first in merciful ways. Listen to Hosea chapter 4 verse 6, put it on the screen for you. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected me and forgotten my word, I will forget your children. What? Because you have ignored the law of your God, I will also ignore your children. Can, can you feel that? That's strong, isn't it? It's very sobering. So if you love your children, you should also love this book. If you love your children, you should also love the worship of God. If you love your children, then you should also love prayer. By the way, this is where the amens go in this sermon in case you're not catching, you're not up to speed. If you, if you love your children, then you should, you should love the community of faith that nurtures your children in the way they should go. And so so this is the admonition to us. So my question to you is where are your children learning about the word and ways of God? Are you you teaching them at home? Where are they being exposed to God's word? I need to say that, that this whole phenomenon is stunning to me. And I thought about what word to use in this context for this sentence. And stunned is the right word. I thought about my response, and, and and as I observe today's modern culture, it is stunning to me how detached parents tend to be from the spiritual well-being of their children. It it blows my mind. It, it, it separates me from sensibility. How far down the list of priorities that today's modern family has for the spiritual development of their children. It's just just, incomprehensible to me. And here's what I believe. I believe you want your children to remember their youth and their experiences with God. You wanna store up in their lives a legacy of faith and devotion and exposure to the things of God and the presence of God. I've said forever that the three things that kids need most is unconditional love, If you're a parent, you have a child, unconditional love. That means love them no matter what. Unconditional love. Number two, they need forthright guidance. You know, here are the boundaries, here are the guardrails. Uh, These are the rails that God Almighty has put in place for his creation. And And in between these barriers, these boundaries is where humans flourish and find abundance and life works for them and God designed it that way. But if you live outside of these boundaries and these barriers, this is where destruction comes and devastation comes and heartache comes. So you give your children forthright guidance. This is why God gave your children parents. This is the way, son, walk there in it. This is the way, sweetheart, stay within these boundaries. This is where you'll flourish. This is God's best design and plan. They need forthright guidance. And the third thing that children need, every child needs, is exposure to the Word of God, the ways of God, and the power of God through the person of His Holy Spirit. You want your children to get to 20 years old, 30 years old, 40 years old, and in dark moments, in desert times in their lives, because it comes to all of us, they can go, Yes, but I remember when I was a child, my parents took me to a church, and I had an experience with Jesus, and I was touched by the work of the Holy Spirit, and I learned His Word, and I know where to stand now and I know how to make it through this dark place. That's what you want for your children. Mothers, fathers, are you building stones of remembrance for your children? Joshua used to pile up stones. Anytime he'd have a military victory or a spiritual breakthrough, there'd be a crossroads moment and he'd pile up a bunch of stones. And after that, the Old Testament reports that from generation to generation, children would be walking with their elders and they'd come to a crossroads and they'd see a bunch of stones piled up and they'd say, what's, the, what, what's up with these rocks? And the elders would say, this is, these are stones of remembrance that Joshua set here to remind us that our God is a faithful God and if you serve him, he will take care of you. But the point I'm trying to make right now, I hope to sober all of us is if you forget the word and ways of God, God says, I'll forget about you and I'll forget about your children. It could be that we're not crazy for believing God at his word. It could be that we're not out of line to prioritize God and his word in our families. It could be that we're not just simpletons and out of touch and not sophisticated enough to see the, the modern trends and the postmodern world and post Christian values and mores. It could be that we're the only ones left in our right mind because we still honor God's truth and want to pass it on to the next generation. Praise God. Now, here's the second thing let's talk about the good news. Not only can sin be a generational curse, but the blessing of God. Watch this. The blessing of God can go from generation to generation. Look on the screen at Psalm 103. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's mercy is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. Their children's children. Luke 150, check this out. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. I love it. Second Timothy 1.5, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and then in your mother Eunice, and now I'm persuaded now lives in you also. So the apostle Paul looks at Timothy and said, man, you're part of a generational blessing. First it was your grandmother, then it's your mother, now it's you. And we see it happening. We had our grandchildren at, at the lake a couple of weeks ago and the seven-year-old twins, I asked a simple question because we were trying to divvy up some food and there was a favorite food item that was in short supply. And not having the powers of multiplication, <laughs> I ask a simple question. I said to the kids, uh, I know we all want one of those. There's not enough to go around Let me ask you the question, who owns, who owns the food? Who, who is the possessor of the food? Finally, Eliana, our seven-year-old granddaughter, she pipes up and she says, well, God is the owner of everything. (laughs) And so it all belongs to him. And we have to share it with each other. Ding, 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 ding. We have a winner. We have a winner. But now here's a seven-year-old who actually knows the truth of an important principle in life, that God is the owner of everything and we merely steward it for a very short time. And then it passes to the next generation. We just have it for a little while, but God calls us to be faithful in the midst of it. Yeah, so this thing didn't start with you, this thing of God's blessing, and it isn't going to end with you. It's been passed from generation to generation because we lay up the mercies of God. Let me illustrate this with David's life. In Second Chronicles chapter 6, watch this now, David has been dead for 11 years, dead for 11 years, and Solomon has built the temple. My goodness, the Bible records these numbers. 10,000 men worked 11 years just compiling the lumber and the stone, the raw materials to build this thing. And then 150,000 men worked seven and a half years to construct the temple in Jerusalem. Magnificent building, Unbelievable. So now they come to Dedication Day and three, watch this now, three million people have assembled for the dedication of the first temple in Jerusalem under Solomon. It's an amazing day. Listen to the numbers. 4,000 ushers just to control the crowds. 4,000 members of the choir. 4,000 people in the orchestra. Can you, this is a big deal. This is, this is huge. It's as big and massive as you can comprehend. And now Solomon orders, twenty. listen to these numbers, 20,000 oxen to be butchered as a sacrifice to God. And 120,000 sheep are slit at the throat and offered to God. Literally 140,000 animals are bled out, literally, at the, at the altar of the temple. And blood now, you can only imagine, blood runs like a river down the hill from the temple. Now, why? Why this, why this extreme? Why this extravagance? Why, why this unusual sacrifice? They are simply attempting to get God's attention. They want God's blessing. And we know the principle, they knew the principle that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Life is in the blood. And unless the blood is shed, sins cannot be atoned for. This is, this is the redemptive formula of, of eternity all the way to Jesus who gave his life and shed his blood for our redemption. And so now these 140,000 animals and all of the blood begins to run. Again, like a river, trying to gain the attention of God to attract the presence of God. Let me uh, just suggest to you today something that I've observed. There's something, there's something about people, maybe you've noticed this as I have. There's something about people who do the unusual. And they tend to be the ones who get unusual results. Have you you noticed this? Something about people who do the unusual that releases the unusual. Something about people who pray extravagant prayers. I mean, outrageous prayers. Crazy kind of praying. Prayers that the average person hears and goes, what does it matter with you? God's not gonna answer that prayer. God's not gonna do that sort of thing in that kind of a big way. But these are the people who tend to get extravagant results. Yeah, something about people who give sacrificial gifts, who serve and give their ability and give their resources, who find the greatness of God manifesting in their lives. There's something about a local church that will attempt great things for God locally and globally that tend to get great results from God. I've already reported to you this morning that we began a youth ministry to teenagers 20 years ago, and we've seen 120,000 of them be part of the program. We baptized 1,500 of them. It's difficult in Delaware County right now to find anyone 35 years, say 18 to 35 years old, who hasn't uh, been impacted in some way by 180 youth ministry. It's a phenomenon. But listen, we did an unusual thing. What most of you don't know is that we invested $300,000 to renovate one of our buildings on our campus here to accommodate 180 before we had one student. I had dozens of people for months and months because I said, we're going to spend $300,000 preparing for, for our new youth ministry. And people would go, Excuse me, do we have any youth for this building? Not yet. Well, you think they'll come? I don't know. You think this is gonna work? Hope so. But we're investing $300,000? Now, you just heard me say that people who do unusual things tend to get unusual results. People who pray extravagant prayers tend to be the ones who get extravagant results from God. And so so we did that. This building originally was built to accommodate our youth ministry. This is the 180 building. And so it went from $300,000 to millions of dollars. People who do unusual things get unusual results. People who do extravagant things get extravagant results from God. How are you on the continuum? Don't you feel good about being part of a church that does unusual things? Three of our staff are in Kazakhstan, Central Asia today. They're taking pictures and shooting videotape of the house churches that have been planted in the last year, new believers. Uh, Our Kazakh friends just baptized five people, five Kazakhs two weeks ago. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that amazing? Listen, that's unusual results. And we're excited about that. Uh, Pastor Cole just told us we're gonna baptize over 20 people at the picnic right after church today. It's an amazing thing. These are unusual results. And now we've stood up and said, look, we've taken over the sanctuary. The, The people at the 830 service are gracious enough to be displaced and come over here. We've taken over the space because we have a vision for fourth, fifth and sixth graders. Let me prophesy to you. We've seen generations come and go in the United States in this past 100 years. We had the builder generation, the World War II generation. These folks saved the world and there's still some builders among us. They're, they're passing away quickly now in their late 80s and 90s. There's the baby boomer generation. That's my generation. We're getting older. We've left our mark. There was a bunch of us. We were, a bunch of us were born right after World War II and we've left our mark not all, all good but we're getting older now. Um, We had a couple last night in church, they visited, they hadn't been here for several years, they came years ago, I actually performed their wedding 34 years ago and so they show up last night and after church she came up and she was giggling, she thought this was funny, maybe you will too. I stood up to do what I'm doing right now and she said, I didn't recognize you but as soon as you started talking, I recognized your voice so I knew it was you and she giggled, it's hilarious. (laughs) <laughs> so we're all getting old. Then, then the Gen X group came along, and it was kind of a more narrowly defined age group. Sociologists said that they had a unique perspective on the world. And then after them were the millennials. And the millennials, now we've been talking about them as the, as the young ones, but they're not anymore. They're approaching middle age. They're in the middle 30s now, the millennials. And, and, and so it's a, it's a transition generation and then after them sociologists identified Generation Z and the Gen Zers again had a unique worldview and a perspective on life and they're going through the world in unique ways, different than any generation in American history. All of these generations unique and, and distinct. And now now there's a new generation which scientists have dubbed Generation Alpha. Generation Alpha are these kids who are five or six years old right now and just being born. Let me prophesy, let me make a prediction. My prediction is that God is gonna put a special call on Generation Alpha. That 20 years from now, 25 years from now, 30 years from now, when the Alpha generation comes of age and begins to take leadership in the world and the life of the church, I believe that Generation Alpha is gonna wake up. I believe God's gonna put his hand on them in such a powerful way that 20, 25 years from now, they're gonna stop and they're gonna look around at our culture and they'll go, this isn't right. This isn't the way, this isn't good. And I believe that God's gonna put his special mantle on that generation and they're gonna be a turnaround generation. And I believe they're gonna reclaim our culture for Jesus' sake. I believe there's a revival that's coming that will come through Generation Alpha. That's my prediction. Now, who are these kids right now? These are the kids in the next few years are gonna be four, five, six. They're in our nurseries right now and then they're gonna be in four, five, six. And we've gotta reach them. Our generation's responsibility is to live in such a way, to sow seeds in such a way, to live with a legacy of faithfulness and devotion to God's word and the truth so that the seed will be sown in their hearts. And as it springs up, it'll produce revival and renewal in the culture. Let me give you an illustration from the Old Testament. When the, the prophet Elisha died, they took his body and they placed it in a cave, which was a common practice. Back in this cave, and they left the body of Elisha there to decompose. And over years, it just became a pile of bones. Years later, there was a battle in Israel and one of the young warriors in Israel were killed in a particular battle. And it happened to have occurred near that cave. And so they took the body of this young warrior and they thought, well, this cave looks like a good place to uh, take care of his body. And so they carry his dead body into this cave and it's dark, I'm sure, and a couple of guys probably have it and it's he's dead weight and they just pitch him into this cave. And they throw, they throw him and unbeknownst to them, his body lands on top of the bones of Elisha. And you say, well, ooh, except when the body of this young man, this next generation lands on the old bones, dried up bones of the prophet Elijah, God resuscitates the guy, heals his wounds, and the guy gets up and he walks back out of the cave you know freaks out his friends hey what are you doing you're supposed to be dead and it's it's fascinating isn't it it's it's curious it's amazing wow what is it what does this mean well you can th- speculate about all of the meanings of this moment this unusual event but here's what we can say about it that when that when a new generation touches the faithfulness of an original older generation, this is when resuscitation happens. This is when revival comes. This is when a renewal comes. And I believe that's what's gonna happen with Gen Alpha. That's my prediction. Most of us in this room today won't be alive when when they come into leadership. But it's our responsibility in our generation to sow the seeds into their hearts, to leave a legacy of faithfulness that stores up for them, the mercy and the faithfulness and the grace of God. And I believe that's what's going on right now. Listen to this other illustration. In 1 Kings 11, David had been dead for 23 years. Watch it now. Solomon married strange women. He had a thousand wives and concubines. Now he, Solomon goes buck wild. He loses his way. And in 1 Kings 11, so the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude, you have not kept my covenant, my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son, yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe, for the sake of David, my servant, for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So David leaves a legacy of mercy and of patience before God. And so even though subsequent generations sin, God withholds his judgment and provides provides his mercy and forgiveness and strength. It's an amazing, an amazing story. The day when Solomon dedicated the, dedicated the temple and this blood just trying to, trying to, enticed the presence of God. Solomon finally stood in front of 3 million people and he raised his voice and he simply prayed this prayer. Oh God, remember the mercies of my father, David. And the blood of 140,000 animals couldn't touch the heart of God. But when Solomon prayed, remember the mercies of my father, David, That's what plucked the heartstrings of God. That's what moved the hand of God. And the Bible reports that fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifice and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Sounds like revival to me. First Kings chapter 15, now David has been dead 57 years. You notice a trend? When one man, one woman, one mother, one leader gets close to God, serves him faithfully, you think it's all about here and now and this life and nothing else, you're wrong. It's bigger than that. It goes from generation to generation, which means every time you serve, every time you usher, every time you lead a small group, every time you volunteer to clean up your neighbor's property or or give a sacrificial contribution, it's not just for that moment. There's an accumulative pileup of mercy and grace and favor and blessing. Now it's 57 years later and David's grandson, Jeroboam, quote, committed all the sins his father had done before him. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord as the heart of David, his forefather had been. Nevertheless, for David's sake, and the Lord has, God has given him a lamp, a light in Jerusalem by raising up a son to succeed him and by making Jerusalem song, strong. 57 years later, it's an amazing phenomenon. Now, one more illustration, Second Kings chapter 19, David has been dead 305 years. Do I need, even need to talk about it? Hezekiah, his many times great-great-grandson is surrounded by the king of Assyria, Sennacherib. He writes Hezekiah, the king of Israel, a one word letter and signs it, King of Assyria. Here was what the Senate said, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to destroy you. Have you ever gotten a letter like that? Maybe it was a bad doctor's report. Maybe it was a layoff slip. You got bad news, really bad news. Hezekiah gets really bad news from the king of Assyria. I'm going to destroy you. And he's got the military might to do it. And and so the Assyrian army surrounds Jerusalem. Here's what Hezekiah did. He takes this letter and he walks down to the temple and he walks up to the altar and he lays this letter on the altar and he said, God, I think this was addressed to the wrong person. I think... I think the king of Assyria meant this for you. And the Bible reports that in one night, God sent an angel and slew 185,000 Assyrian soldiers that had surrounded Hezekiah. And when Hezekiah asked, Lord, why did you do this? 2 Kings 19.34, it says, I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. See, David had stored up so much prayer, so much praise, so much worship, so much service, he laid it up for mercy. We live in an age where people are consumed by the lesser things, our happiness, our prosperity, our success. Maybe just maybe we ought to focus more on what we can give our children of a lasting nature. Because if we give them a meaningful faith, a meaningful prayer life, a dependence on Jesus, a value in the local church and the community of faith, if we give them that, listen to your pastor, we will give them something great, something great, something that matters, something that lasts, something that makes a difference in the world and makes Jesus more famous and more followed. So why not be part of a generational blessing, a legacy of faithfulness and integrity that changes not only our lives, but the lives of the generations to come. If you think that's a good idea, say amen. Let's pause and pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for these amazing truth, these principles that are so powerful and so challenging. So Lord, help us meet each one of us at the point of our need. Help us today, Lord. Some of us in the room are from families that have left us and our family heritage in many ways, totally in shambles. So many destructive, dysfunctional patterns. Thanks be to God who can liberate us beginning today and a new course and a new legacy and a new generational blessing can begin in this moment, in this day, in our lives and our families, if we'll decide to follow Jesus. So help us God to make those choices that matter and leave a legacy of hope and grace and mercy. And we pray all these things in the wonderful name of Jesus and everyone said, amen, amen. Now, as we sing today, just let me remind you of this insert in your bulletin. This is a way for you to express some interest. Maybe you'd like to help. Certainly you'd like to pray and maybe volunteer to be part of the 456 ministry. This is a, this is a big deal. This is a strategic, as important a thing as you could possibly do. And so there are ways that you can sign up to help already. You can fill this out, hand it to an usher on the way out. As I mentioned, Kenzie's in the, in the cafe. You can speak with her on your way out as well. So give that some thought. Would you stand with us?